Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. So what is the church? And when I say church, I mean churches like ours. What is the church supposed to be doing? What are we supposed to do? And by that I mean, you know, what is, what is our overarching mission? You know, that, that, that just kind of goes over the whole thing. And then what does our mission require of us? And it seems like that'd be an easy question to answer, doesn't it? But I think the, the reality is, is that if today, uh, when you came in, we'd handed you a piece of paper and a pen and said, hey, we want you to write down two or three things that you think is just really, really important for a church to be or a church to do that you think just really, really matters. Uh, do you suppose we'd all come up with the same two or three things? Ain't no way, is there? <laughs> We come up with all sorts of different things. And go ahead and go to that first slide if you would there, Stephen. We, we, all sorts of things we would come up with. And there would be a lot of overlap, I'm sure. Um, but the, the reality is, is that we would find ourselves somewhat divided on what those top priorities are. And, and that's not surprising because how do we arrive at those conclusions? We arrive at those conclusions based on where we've come from in life, don't we? We've all had life experiences, and as we go through life, you know, we had, wow, this was an awesome experience that I had. And so you, you think, wow, that's so valuable, that's so important. We should make sure that that's a part. Whoa, what's happening to the slides there? We should be back on number two there, Stephen, yeah. Okay. Uh, man, technology has a mind of its own, then I lose my mind. That's right, our background, see, where we come from uh, affects us. So if we have some really positive experience, man, we think, oh, that's so important. We want to make sure that's a part of it. But if we happen to have a negative experience, right, ooh, that's emotionally disturbing problem, you know, relational issues, whatever, we say, whatever we do, let's don't do that. Let's make sure we don't put, you know, people in that kind of situation. And that's understandable, but it creates a problem. Now, just let me say that I think there's extreme value in the fact that we all come from different backgrounds. And that we all bring different perspectives to what's going on, because that is so helpful to us as we try to make certain decisions, okay? Uh, and, and so I, I'm not saying it's not a value, but I am saying when it comes to answering a question like this, it's problematic. Because if it's about my preference, oh, here's what I like, here's what I think, is about what you like, my preference is what I think I like, we have no way to resolve that issue, do we? There's no way to resolve that issue. Because why should it be your preference instead of mine? Or why should it be my preference instead of you? And what usually happens is whoever has the most power gets their way. Whoever gets the most votes gets their way. Whatever, however that works, okay? And, and, but that's not the, you can't answer questions like this that way. We need to be able to answer a question like this in a way that unites us. And that brings us together. And so is there a way that we can do that? And there is. And this is where the idea of truth comes in. Truth, so important. I wasn't ready for the pink elephant yet, but I'll go with it, okay? 
This idea of truth is the idea of uh, if, if I make a statement about anything and the question is, well, does that match the way something really is? If it is, then it's a true statement, okay? So if I were to say, there is a table right here, okay? Uh, is there a table right there? Okay, so my statement matches this reality, doesn't it? So it's a true statement. It matches the way things really are, okay? Now, what if I were to say to you, there is a little pink elephant here on the stage. See him? Do you see him? I'm glad nobody's saying, yeah. Yeah, no, there is no little pink elephant here on the stage, okay? So if I say there is a little pink elephant on the stage, but there isn't, my statement doesn't match reality. Okay, so therefore my statement is not true. We all, we get that. But let me tell you what's happening in our culture today. And the reason I tell you what's happening in our culture today is because we as Christians are not immune to our culture. We, we live in it. And we have tendency to pick up things from our culture. And so here's the way this goes. I say that, you know, there, there's, there's no pink elephant here on the stage. That's the truth. There isn't one. And someone says, well, okay, yeah, I get that. I, I understand that that's true. But I feel like there is a pink elephant here. And I'm going to live like there's a pink elephant here. What we have is we've come into a society now that is more and more built on people making determinations about life and, and what needs to happen on the basis of how they feel about it, not on the basis of what's true. And when we get to that point, there's no objective standard. Let me tell you what happens in a society where this becomes the case. You lose your freedom. You lose freedom. Because it does come down to, if we have different ideas about the way things ought to be, who gets their way? Whoever has what? The most power. And you think about it, that's how things are going in our society. Jesus said it's not going to work. You know what freedom is based on? You shall know the, and the truth will make you free. Freedom. The reason is freedom because there's an objective standard. I can be you know, just convinced of this, and, and you can be convinced of that, but we can both turn around and look at the truth and say, here's truth. Here's the way it really is. Now let's evaluate what we're saying and what we're thinking in light of that truth. Okay? So Jesus told us what, where we find our truth. When he was praying for us, that night before he went to the cross, he prayed for us and he prayed to his Father and he said, sanctify them by your truth. And then he identified where that is. Your word is truth, right? Your word is truth. And so, so this is our standard. This is the standard which we can go back to. It's not about how I feel about things. It's not about how you feel about things. It's not what my preferences are. It's not what your preferences are. It is the truth. There's truth. And all the truth that we need to know to live a life that pleases God and accomplishes purposes, he tells us here. And if he hasn't told us something there, then we don't need to know it to do what he wants us to do. Truth, so important, this objective standard. And as Christians, we're called to this. And not just when it comes to little pink elephants. 
We're called to this when we're asking this question, what's the church supposed to do? What, what is our overarching mission and, and what does our mission require of us? And so if we're gonna answer that question, we must go to the source of truth to answer that question, okay? And everything else then flows out from there, all the other decisions we have to make. So let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Some of these are, these are well-known passages we're looking at today, but they are so important to what we're talking about. And I would say this to you first, right up front. The Great Commission is our overarching mission. The Great Commission. Uh, most of you know what that is. Some of you wouldn't know what we mean by this. So let's look at it here. Let's start in verse number 16. We're on page 1150 in the Bible that's in the chairs there. If you don't have a Bible with you, or your Bible maybe is a significantly different translation, we encourage you to pick up one of those Bibles and follow along with us. Matthew 28, verse 16. Jesus has died, he's risen, he's been talking to the disciples, he's getting ready to leave, and so he's giving them some final instructions. Verse 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. Some, some weren't certain what's, what's going on, what's going to happen. Maybe what are we supposed to do when you go? And Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All right, so I am the one who has the authority to say this is what you're supposed to do or any other claim that Jesus would make. He has the authority from his father to do that. So what's he say? Verse 19, with that authority he commands us, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so Jesus has here just settled what it is we're supposed to be doing. Um, over in Acts chapter eight, we, we weren't gonna turn to it right now. In Acts chapter one, I mean, Jesus, uh, they were having questions about, you know, when are you returning? When is God setting up the kingdom? When's going, and Jesus said, that's not your concern. I'm paraphrasing. That's not your concern. Here's your concern. Here's what you're supposed to do. You're to be witnesses for me. Okay, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you and empower you to do this, and you're to be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and under the uttermost parts of the earth. So this idea of making disciples uh, is connected with this idea of being his witnesses in the world. Spirit-empowered witnesses, not in our own strength. So let's, let's look here a little more closely again and then see what this is telling us. Go, therefore, make disciples. And I want you to know that everything else that follows is about making disciples. It's all about making disciples. We make disciples by sharing the gospel with them, don't we? Okay? Sometimes we get, in, in our Christian culture, our church mindset and cultures, we think, okay, well, there's, there's evangelism and witnessing, and that's about trying to get people saved. And then there's discipleship. Well, I get what you're trying to say, but that's not accurate. Jesus says, go out into the where? World and do what? Make disciples, but those people don't believe. 
Oh, so how are we going to make them disciples? How? We're going to help them to understand the gospel and believe. And some of what's going to happen out there, and maybe some we're inviting them in here, whatever. But th- that's where it starts. It's about making disciples. Evangelism is about making disciples. Because every person who receives Christ as Savior, who genuinely receives Christ as Savior, that means they also receive him as Lord. They are now a disciple. And there may be a disciple that doesn't know much of anything. Okay, but they've, they've received Christ as Savior. And I think that, that thought is captured in when he says baptizing them. In other words, they have understood the gospel that, that they have sinned against a holy God and that those sins have separated them from God and they're spiritually dead and, and if they die in that condition, they'll go to hell for all eternity. But we know the story, the good part, right? Jesus died for our sins, rose again from the dead and he says that if we will acknowledge our need of a savior, we've blown it, we've sinned, we're on our way to hell, we need a savior, we'll believe that Jesus, who the Bible said he was, receive him as Lord and savior, he says at that moment he forgives every sin, heaven is our destiny and he comes to live inside us and begins changes from the inside out. So we preach that message, when people accept it, we baptize them, okay? Not against their will. But we tell them that they ought to be baptized to follow what the Lord has said because baptism is an open profession to everybody in this building and to anybody who knows that you're getting baptized that I have received Christ as Savior. He is my Lord. It's not saying I have my life together perfectly. It's not about taking away your sins. Jesus did that the moment you believed. It's none of that because it's just an open public profession. I'm obeying the Lord, being baptized, because I want you to know that I am now a follower of Christ, okay? So this is part of this process, making disciples. And then from there, we continue to make them disciples by teaching them, what does it say? To observe all things I have commanded you. And that's not just the gospels, because Jesus, the Father, the Spirit, are the authors of what? The whole word. And the whole counsel of God, as the Apostle Paul talked about. And so we begin teaching, teaching them how to live, teaching them what they need to believe, uh, all of it based on truth, right? It's truth. It's based on not our preferences, not somebody else's preference. So we teach them to do this. And, And then Jesus tells us that there will come a time when we won't be able to do this anymore. He says, I'm with you. I'm always with you until the end of the age, until this this time period in history comes to an end. And we don't know when that is. That could be today. It could be a long ways away. We don't know. But we need to be making disciples between now and then, whenever that is. Now, so what else is the church supposed to be doing then? I know you think that's one of your trick questions, isn't it, Walt? And it sort of is a trick question. Because I think we can make a case that we're supposed to be glorifying God, right? The church will glorify. But let me say to you, how does the church glorify God? By doing what he said. So how do we glorify God? By making disciples. So what else should the church be doing? Nothing. Now, what you think is making disciples, you may say, wait a minute, we gotta do lots more than that because you may not be thinking, but I want you to say that, let me just, just take you on a little tour here, a mental tour with me today. So you, you pull in today, and I, I, I know that uh, Tim Morway, he had some other things to do, I don't know if he was out there today, I didn't make it out there and see, was Tim out there? Yes, 
Okay. So if someone pulls into the parking lot and we have someone in the parking lot, what's that got to do with making disciples? Well, he's there. First of all, we want to see a happy face. We're glad to see you because when people are glad to see you, does that help you to feel better and open up? Right, okay, so we're trying to help you open up to come and worship the Lord and meet with other believers. If and when all of a sudden we have this huge crowd showing up all at once and you can't figure out where to park, anybody in here ever get irritated when people take your parking spot? They pull in in front, I mean, right? That doesn't, so we'd have someone out there help. The idea is it's purposeful. When you walk in the door and there are some people here, and I don't know how it always goes. I don't know if it always goes the way you want it to, but there are people to meet you and greet you there. What's that got to do with making disciples? Well, everything, because it's about fellowshipping and saying, hey, we are glad you are here. You matter to us because we're communicating to them that they are important, that God has something for them in their lives, and we are glad they're here, and we're glad we get to be a part of it. Uh, if you're a guest, you know, then that someone meets you and wants to make sure that you, you know, you know, where you're going, what's going on, and, and answer any question you might have. You see, it's all about disciples. How about the coffee? Anybody think coffee is part of making disciples? It isn't required, but it can help. <laughs> and it provides an atmosphere, right? A positive atmosphere. So, so many things that we do. It isn't all just about what I'm doing right now. It isn't all just about what we're doing when, when the service is active and engaged. And so, so many things are connected with trying to make disciples, meeting people where they're at and wherever they're at, helping them to go to the next place. Um, there are things that we could do as a church that could be good things, but wouldn't help us make disciples. And if that's the case, then we have to say what? No. We don't have to say it's a bad thing. We're saying us as a church. No, that isn't what God has given us to do. He's given us to make disciples. Now, you see, this is, the, this is where the truth starts to sometimes run over our preferences, doesn't it? Okay? And we have to be willing to yield to that. So the Great Commission is our overarching mission, and that means about making disciples. So, so then the question comes is, what does that require of us? This, this uh, mission, what does it require of us? Well, our mission requires us to acknowledge Jesus as Lord and then to devote ourselves to loving him to loving each other, and to loving the world. So let's, let's take a look at this. Let's go to this passage of Scripture. Matthew 22, page 1140 in the Bible that's in the chairs there. Jesus has been challenged by some religious leaders. They're trying to catch him in something they can accuse him of, which they never succeeded at. And so they come and say, okay, what's the, what's the most important commandment? What's the greatest commandment that we're supposed to follow? They figure whatever he says, they can argue with it and catch him in something. Uh, verse 36, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. He basically just said everything that is taught in the Old Testament, everything that is there is about either loving God or loving your neighbor and probably both. Okay? That sums it up. 
So this week, you can have a conversation with somebody and say, you know what, I just, it became clear to me this week. I know I can tell you everything the Bible has to say to us. In the Old Testament, anyway. And then tell them that. But what we find here is this, the great commandment provides motivation and direction for carrying out the great commission. That's called the, the great commandment, right? And it, but it provides this motivation and direction for carrying out our mission, and here's how. Starts off with love who? Love God, with your whole being. Everything that you can bring to love. We sang about it today. Everything you can bring to loving him. And so it's about your whole life. My whole life is about the Lord. It's supposed to be, right? And that's the process, the process we're always working through, trying to have it be more and more a reality. So my whole life is about the Lord and loving him. And so how do we show our love for him? Jesus said, he says, hey, if you love me, you will Anybody remember? Keep my commandments. You'll do the things that I say. Go, therefore, and make disciples. If you love me. And so this motivation, as we come to love God more, we desire to do what he's told us to do, which is make disciples. But then it also provides us direction. We are to make disciples of the world, right? And that's the second part of this great commandment, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, anybody here today glad that someone, whether it was in church or writing or a personal conversation, anybody here glad today that somebody explained the gospel to you? All right? Love your neighbor like you love yourself. And if that's, wow, I need to have someone explain the gospel to me. Wow, they need to have somebody explain the gospel to them. And so if I love them like I love myself, what do I do? I try to work and make sure that those people, that, you know, I have connection, they hear the gospel. It matters. And, and, and then, uh, anybody here glad that you found yourself, whether it was this one, first one for you, or other, glad you found yourself in a church that cared about you and took in and taught you the word and helped you learn how to live Christian life? Anybody glad about that? Love your neighbor as yourself. If that's important to you, guess what? It's important for them. If you need it, they need it. Okay? So there's direction there. It's providing us direction. Making disciples. Um, and by the way, one of the ways we make disciples is by becoming a better disciple ourselves. Right? In other words, I've got to grow myself as well. And you know, we'll talk more about that, where you can do that and how. Uh, but there's another step. There's another thing that this requires of us. We've, we've, you know, Jesus Lord, right? Every, his name, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. Jesus says, hey, if I'm Lord, you call me Lord, you should be doing what I say. He says that in Luke chapter six. And then the idea of loving uh, our God and then loving our neighbors. But there's another level here. And that is how we love each other. How we love each other is so crucial. Uh, the quality of our relationships inside the church affects our credibility with people outside the church. Can I say that again? The quality of our relationships with each other in the church affects our credibility with people outside the church. Let me tell you one of the quickest ways to uh, ruin any chance of witnessing that you have. 
Go out there around unsaved people and start telling them the negative feelings you have about someone in your church. They're going to say, wow, what a Christian this person is. Are they? No. If you go out and talk about, I'm frustrated with my church because of this, that, and the other thing, whatever you do that, it comes up. Even if you aren't talking to them, you're talking from them, and they're hearing. Man, you are just killing your credibility with them to speak for Christ. Okay? Because here's what Jesus said in John 13. He said, by this all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. You gotta love each other. We have to love each other. I gotta love you and you gotta love me. Boy, that's a tough assignment for you sometimes. But it is crucial that we do it. This is what this mission requires of us. That we come to loving each other is not just so we'll feel good about it, although I love it when we love each other. It's about more than that. It's about as the world is able to observe in you and in me, whether it's they come in here and see it or they see us out there, they hear how we talk out there and our attitudes and they begin to conclude, man, these people are Christians. I don't know if Christianity is really true, but these guys are Christians. And what happens to your credibility when you start to speak then for Christ? Your credibility goes way, way up, see? So that, it requires this of us that we love each other. Now, so we're talking about having loving relationships in our church that, that do a couple of things. One, that helps us to grow as disciples, okay? Because we're loving each other, we're helping each other. We're trying to help each other become better disciples. One of the ways I help you become a better disciple is by becoming a better disciple myself. But it doesn't stop there. I need to be act, and I say me, I'm not talking about me as the pastor, I'm talking about me as a Christian. I need to be actively involved with you and your lives and trying to help you to become a more faithful follower of Christ. See, and we do that for each other. And by the way, that means that you have to open yourself up to let somebody else help you. Oh, that's one of your favorite things to do, isn't it? I need help. Oh, boy. That's like telling a man, his wife telling her, her husband, stop and ask for directions. <laughs> well, let's go ask at the store. Let's go ask someone. No, I can figure it doesn't come natural to us, but the idea is, yeah, is we need to open up ourselves up to that. In other words, all of us ought to be looking for somebody that we can help, that we can help to grow. And we also all need to be looking for somebody who can help us to grow. And, and by the way, the, the two places here that we provide that the most, by the way, it should happen organically amongst yourselves, it should, okay? Not all ministry, but the two places where we really focus on this are in our, our life groups and Life Source U. And if you aren't taking advantage of those things, you're going to have to work real hard to find some other place that's going to help you like they will. Okay? Um, so I really encourage you to let, let yourself, open yourself up to having other people help you grow and become a more faithful disciples. And then this loving relationship will help each of us to be involved in making disciples. Um, as I kind of already said, but let me focus on it a little bit. If you as a follower of Christ are not helping others to become followers of Christ and to become better followers of Christ, your discipleship is defective. This is not a spectator sport. This is for everybody. Every Christian who knows the Lord 
your responsibility, as is mine, is to be making disciples, helping people become better disciples. Uh, and how do you do that? Well, man, there's lots of ways. Individual life, plenty of things, and the Holy Spirit can help you figure it out. But what I want to say to you is what we are just finalizing here for you is what we call the path. You've seen it out there in the foyer, the display on the wall, and the things that are there. And, and this idea is that we're all on the path of becoming disciples, making disciples, okay? That whole process, the mission that God has given us. And, and so we're on this together, and so we help each other, and we let other people help us, and, and we reach out, and so we're working on this whole process. And so let's talk about this. The path is about leading others to be faithful followers of Christ. You and I need to be doing that. And again, if we aren't involved in that, or we may we're willing to help somebody else, but we aren't opening ourselves up to being helped, again, our discipleship is defective. We need to go all in with the Lord on this. All in. Because it's not about my preferences or your preferences. If that's the case, we're talking about pink elephants. It isn't about that. It's what God has told us to do. And lots of ways to do it. And by the way, this is where it becomes so valuable that we come from different backgrounds. And we have different experiences in life. And this is where it comes. Okay, we gotta make disciples. That means we have to have the ministry of the word. We have to do the things the Bible says. But you know what? You bring to this, your perspective is something that you care about and something that you're sensitive to, something that you understand better than I do. And see, we all have that and we bring that. And that's where this becomes really valuable. And that's why when we get together every now and then in a church family forum and have a conversation about what are we doing or how are we doing it, what are we do- that, that we've already settled, okay, here's what we're doing. We're making disciples. Now let's talk about what's the best way to do that. And then your perspective comes in and this person's perspective and my perspective. And we get this much broader, bigger picture that we can seek the Lord about and then make the best decision we know how. By the way, I just gotta tell you, warn you ahead of time, sometimes it don't go your way. And I know a lot of you don't believe it, but there are plenty of times it don't go my way when it comes to my preference. Okay? Doesn't matter. Because the truth and the mission we're together on that. That unites us. And if we think all that other stuff is what's going to unite us, it's not. It's the truth and the mission. One final requirement. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I referred to it earlier. And I put this in the King James Version. I'll tell you why in a minute. It says, And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Okay? Now, I chose the King James here to show this to you because it, there's a word in the Greek language, a little word, two letters, we would say T-E, and it's a conjunction of sorts. Uh, I'm sorry to mess your heads with grammar on Sunday morning, but it's a conjunction. But there's an interesting thing to it, and the King James tried to capture that by translating the word both. See that? You shall be witnesses both. Interesting. Usually when we think of both, how many things are we thinking of? Two, that's right, both. But there's Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and all them other places. Doesn't sound like a both, does it? Okay. What this little Greek word has this, this kind of uh, a, a feel to it, a slant to it, is not both in the sense of two, but both as at the same time. Okay? 
In other words, it isn't, okay, when we finish the job in the greater Worcester area, when we get that all done, then we'll think about what's next. Jesus said to his people in his church, no, 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 that isn't the way it works. While you are doing it here in the greater Worcester area, you need to be concerned about how's it getting done out there? What can we do to be a part of how it's getting done out there? The next area over, the next state over, the next country over. How, how do we do that? We are to be involved in all of it at the same time. And so we are to be making disciples both here and there. What we're talking about doing here also needs to be happening there, and somehow or other we're supposed to be involved in that. I don't know about you, I have not yet figured out how to be two places at once. It's probably a good thing. <laughs> so, this is the, that the requirements, both here and there, how in the world do we do that? So really what we have is one mission, two paths, don't we? The same path, but it's, it's a path here, and it's the same path where? Out there. So two, two places is supposed to be happening. Happening here, happening there. Now how in the world do we do that? How do we do that? Ain't it big enough here? How many people in Worcester County? Last time I checked, about 600,000. Boy, look at our attendance day. We're getting close, aren't we? Not. This is a huge responsibility where we are. And yet we're supposed to be involved in it, doing it out there too. How do we do that? Well, we're going to talk about that next week, next week's sermon. Uh, the idea of the nuts and bolts of carrying this out. How do we do this? But today we need to settle in our hearts once and for all what it is that God has called us to do, what he saved us to do. Yeah, we're going to glorify him. We ought to glorify him. We glorify him by doing what he says. And he told us to make disciples. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for your word and that you speak so clearly to us from it. And I pray, Lord, that we would settle in our hearts today that we are supposed to be about making disciples and knowing that that probably means for most of us, even myself still, Lord, some, some changes that need to happen in my focus and what I'm doing. We want to yield to you in this. So I pray that we'll settle that in our hearts with you right now this morning, Lord. As we partake of the Lord's Supper together, Father, we might affirm our yieldedness to you. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.